Hi, Hurricane fans. Joe Zagacki here for UPS. Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world, globally or locally. UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want. More made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics. a special episode of the Behind the You podcast. Well, they're all special, but this guy's name means everything. You don't have to say too much when you introduce Santana Moss, but Santana Moss is going to take us behind the you, take us behind his journey, his story. Santana, welcome. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you doing this. Uh, he's got some media in him, so we're, we're expecting big things from him on this. I'm just going to hit you with this. Everybody says the 2001 team, right? Greatest team of all time. But I was looking at that 2000 roster. A 2000 roster holds up. That roster was loaded with freshmen. McGahee, Andre Johnson, Vernon Carey, Vilma, Vince, DJ. I mean, that 2000 roster holds up. You know, honestly, the only reason why we don't get mentioned is because we didn't win a championship. But everyone know we got cheated out of uh, opportunity to even have yes, sir. the title. So, yes, you know, we can compare the two, but we didn't get a chance to really be up there to be compared. But um, if you think about it, that 2001 team won't be what it was without the 2000 team. So we basically build, and there's a lot of the stuff that we built there from 97 and 96 that gave those guys the opportunity. And then if you think about it, Ed Reed was still there. So he was a part of what we started building back in 97, and he was able to put a fine imprint in them, you know, having an attempt at the national championship. You know, that game against Boston College, if it wasn't for Ed, who knows, we won't even, you know, be talking about University of Miami, you know, having a chance to play in that game. There's so much to get into, but, you know, again, as I was getting ready for this and just going back and looking at some stuff, some interviews you had done, you had talked about your freshman year that you thought you would redshirt. Yeah. You didn't expect to play, and then all of a sudden in the Pittsburgh game, which we're going to talk about, all of a sudden, you know, you're called into action. But the reason why I bring that up is, do you ever think about if you had redshirt and you were on the 0-1 team with Ed Reed and everybody else? Nah, not at all. Look, man, everything happens for a reason. My journey took its course because it was meant to be. I was prepared because of my situation to redshirt. Now, if you gave me the opportunity out the gate that I can play from day one, then I wanted to play, you know, but my situation, I was a track guy. You know, I was the guy who came in on the track scholarship. So, you know, the whole game plan was, hey, you're going to redshirt this year and we're going to see what you got. <laughs> After a couple of days out there practicing, I was comparing myself to the guys that was there like, okay, well, I'm sure I can play on this level. I'm sure I can play with these guys. So out the gate, if you would have said, hey, you have an option to play, I'm playing. But uh, my situation had me thinking other words. And honestly, when it happened, I wasn't expecting it, but the rest is history, man. You know, I, I always say this, as long as you, you know, you are, uh, you're prepared for the situation, when the opportunity is ready or given, then, you know, your preparation takes over. So. I was always prepared, so I'm, I'm, I was happy that the opportunity opened up for me to uh, play out the gate. All right, so let's, let's tackle that, right? You said you got to Miami on a track scholarship, and can you walk us through, because what comes first, the track scholarship, and then they talk to you about walking on. I know you weren't heavily recruited, and I know that there were some guys at Carroll City with you, your Carroll City grad, that Miami was looking at, so can you kind of tie it all together for us? Yeah, honestly, man, um, you know, University of Miami was looking at Robert Stanford, our running back, and our safety, Devin Brown. 
And they already had two guys that I grew up with, Nate Webster and Rod Mack, that was already at the University of Miami. So I, I believe when, I, this is how the story has been tossed to me, uh, when Coach Shannon was going to recruit Carroll City guys, you know, Rod Mack put in his ear due to the fact that Rod Mack was the linebacker and Nate Webster was the linebacker. Hey, you watch that Santana Moss. You know, I grew up with him. I know he can play with us. And Coach Shannon like, yeah, you know what he plays, receiver. They don't throw the ball out there. Yeah, but watch him. I know he can play with us. He came out and I think surprisingly I had a good game or I showed up. I, I had some, you know, because one of the things about at Carroll City, if it's not uh, one of those games where we just threw the ball a lot, you know, I might have quarter pass, you know, because we wasn't throwing that much. And something I did that night, you know, raised his eyebrows and the rest was history. So he came back to the school like, yeah, this kid could play, but we don't have the scholarship to get him here. And he hasn't really showed that I can be, you know, selected or be given that scholarship due to the fact that I didn't put up any big numbers. You know, a lot of other guys out there, Reggie Wayne's, Daryl Jones, all those guys was out there killing, you know, in New Orleans and in Dallas. But they kept an eye on me and Coach Shannon gave me a call and said, hey, we have an opportunity for you to come play with us, but you're going to get a, you know, the track team is already, you know, um, going to give you a scholarship because of what you have done in track. And I immediately just hung up. I didn't even want no parts of it because I, trust me, I hated track. I, I did it because I could, but it was something that I really dread doing. And it's crazy how, <laughs> you know, full circle now, you look back at it, that was the reason why I'm where I'm at today because of track. So down the line, long story short, I kind of got that call back and I was more than delighted to hear from him that time because by that time I knew I didn't want to go out of town nowhere to go play football and I took the offer. It's funny, I was going to ask you, if you don't run track, we may not know Santana Moss the way we know him, right? Exactly. If you don't have track in your life, if that door doesn't open or if you don't have a teammate, you know, at Carroll City, where would you have gone to play? Who knows, man? I mean, honestly, I had... Western Michigan, which, you know, both of those guys, you know, one of those guys I talked about, Robert Stanford, he went to Western Michigan with my best friend, Bo Rogers. So we all went on a visit together. They was highly recruiting me. They, was, they wanted me amongst everybody. They wanted me to bring everybody else. And they saw the potential. Coach Kubik, I believe his name was. I'm not sure if he's still over there. He saw the things that, you know, now everybody else has seen throughout my career that I can play on the, uh, the collegiate level at a high level. And he was like, look, man, these guys didn't give you enough opportunity, but when you did, you shine. And I haven't seen a guy your size be able to go out to the ball and change gears and just, you know, zero to 60 like that. You know, he told me, man, when I was young and I've always had a level here, he said I had the whole package, you know, to be in my frame. So, you know, he saw that and I probably would have ended up at Western Michigan if it wasn't for Miami giving me an opportunity or if it wasn't for track period. So you hung up on the phone on him the first time, huh? Yeah, man, it was it was odd because I didn't I wasn't trying to be rude or nothing, but I was just like, man, no, nah, I didn't come this far to be, you know, going. Look, track was cool. You know, it's crazy because this story wouldn't probably be a story without Coach Frazier. And, I, you know, I know he's going to talk about him, but he told me to go back to track my junior year. And I was like, no, nah, man, I'm not trying to run track no more. Me and the coaches had some we shared some words that wasn't um, <laughs> pleasant. And um, I just wasn't trying to, I, I wasn't feeling it. And then all my friends who was there already like, come on, man, come do it. So I tried to cheat the system by saying, okay, I'm going to run track, but I'm going to do it my way. So I went and just jumped. I was a jumper. I took myself out of all the, you know, the, uh, the events on the track and just said, I'm going to triple jump and long jump. Surprisingly and fortunately, I won state at both and helped us win a state championship. And so that kind of kind of brought all the attention back saying, okay, Kara City wins their first state championship 
behind Santana Moss winning two field events, along with Donald Heaven, who went to Florida State, winning two field events, shot put in disc. And then now everybody's starting to talk a little bit more about me as a track guy. And that's what kind of got me, you know, uh, in the doors of Miami. So if you didn't like track so much, how come you kept running at Miami? Because I felt like I had an obligation. Um, they got me there. And I'm one of those guys, man. I'm just committed to whatever, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer dude. I felt bad if I just got this scholarship now and I'm like, I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm straight. Thanks, but no thanks. You know what I'm saying? But also too, by this time, I was a little wiser and I realized how much track meant to my football game. You know, I, I realized like, man, if it wasn't for me, my junior year really going out there and building up that endurance again and getting those fast twist muscles to work like they did, maybe my senior year of football wouldn't been what it was because I really played lights out my senior year in high school. And, you know, I kind of give a lot of credit to being out there in track, that track practice, all those sprints and all the stuff that I didn't do at track meets I did in practice. And I'm like, man, you know, this thing does go hand in hand. And so I knew better. So I said, okay, I can still do this on a collegiate level because one, they got me here. So I need to give them that. And also it's going to help me. It's going to benefit me down the line. So, um, I was able to do that. And then I was also able to bring a lot of the guys that play ball with me, you know, to track. You know, a lot of the guys didn't, you know, plan on running track. Reggie Wayne and all those other guys, you know, Najee Davenport was a track guy in high school, but he wasn't at UM for track. And he ended up coming out to track. So it was a lot of guys, Clinton Porters, you name it, Andre Johnson, all those guys came to track because a guy like myself and Daryl Jones was out there running and competing at a high level. Didn't Ed Reed throw the javelin? Yeah, and Ed Reed also, yeah, he's another guy. And and he he definitely came out because just because we came in together. So he saw me out there with success and he knew he had that in his background and he went out there and, and competed at a high level also. How does someone become a good triple jumper? It's like an unnatural motion. I can't give you that that answer. I can't <laughs> answer that for you because I'm gonna tell you like this. I never did it before, you know, leading up to my junior year and I won state in. So <laughs> that's the crazy part about it. Like I just had hops and I was very athletic. It wasn't much you couldn't teach me or show me how to do that I couldn't do. And that's been like that all my life with anything I did. Anything I've ever tried that has to use your athletics, <laughs> I was one of those guys to find a way to how to do it. So uh, I remember my first year trying it. The first track meet I ever tried, I tried it at a dude meet. And it was just two teams competing against each other. And it was a guy that was our drum major in high school and he told my girlfriend at the time, like, yeah, I hear your boyfriend coming out, you know, back to the track team. He finna try to compete in my event. You know, I'm a triple jumper. You know, he's a cocky dude. And I, he hated me and I hated him. I didn't like him. He told her to tell me, yeah, um, tell her about how I got second place. You know, me, I'm not one of those guys that take stuff to heart, but I'm like, he just don't know, man. I got hops. In this small frame of mine, I can jump. So if they show me what I need to do, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna make it to the dirt. And they had different boards. You had the 32 board, the 36 board, and the 42 board. At the time, I'm probably five, seven. My triple jump coach was like, look, you go from the 36 board, you're gonna easily get in the dirt because you can, you can long jump. So when you get to that last part, you're gonna be able to get yourself in the dirt. Like we go from this 42 board, it might be tough when you get in that dirt, but if you make it in the dirt with your hops, you can be already in 40 feet range. So, you know, what you wanna try? I said, I'm trying 42. And before you know, it, I think my first jump was 46 feet and I had them beat what he did. And I beat him in that track meet. I beat him every meet and it took his, I took his heart, I took his soul from him. <laughs> and it was just something, he's my teammate. So, you know, it was no offense, you know, <laughs> but 
I really did it and didn't even trip, didn't even, you know, brag about it. It hurt his soul because he knew I was a humble dude doing it. You know what I mean? And I didn't really care to really share with anybody else what he shared with somebody to tell me. Well, I kind of feel like the, some of that, I don't know, you can call it doubt, criticism, someone talking junk about you, right? Because you have said that you got to Miami, right? And people looked at you like a track guy. So you're like, I want to prove them wrong. And I listened to some stuff. You said you got to the Jets, right? And you were hurt at the beginning, and, but it's, you're the first round pick. So I got to prove them wrong. And this drum major's talking smack about you. I got to prove him wrong. So you could say you're humble, but there's some in, inner burnings, right? That like, hey man, I'm here and I'm, I'm here to work and I'm here to show everybody what I'm all about. That's the key word, the work. You know what I mean? Like my whole journey has been because of my work ethic. Everything about where I've been and what I've overcome is because how I went at it, how I went about it, my mindset and me just going through and pushing through it. You know, as athletes or this period, person, people in life, we face a lot of adversity. And one of the things about adversity, it's gonna show you who you really are. So having that adversity early in my life, in my childhood period, and just knowing what my goal was always to do, it was kind of like, man, I saw myself overcome so much and still was able to be here at the end of the day fighting for another chance. So I just knew I was a fighter. So it, it wasn't nothing you could put in front of me to tell me that I couldn't do because I'm here for a reason. And believe it or not, this guy who you look at that might not look like nothing, you know, he's here for a reason. So that's how I looked at everything. And that's just how I take on life. Uh, you're going to have many trials and tribulations, but it's really building you. It's molding you to be who you are, who you really are. And it's showing you who you really are. So I always took that stuff like a grain of salt, man. I like if it's something happened bad, I've always been optimistic about it. Just knowing that, man, this is a part of the journey. I have to go through this to get there. And so that's just what it was. And, you know, everybody don't have that perspective. Everybody don't have that mindset. But I was fortunate enough to have that at a young age. And it's, it, it was able to lead me to where I'm at today. What is some of the adversity you faced growing up? And the only reason why I ask is not to pry, but I think people hear about hard work, right? But I don't think people really understand the amount of work it takes to be great as an athlete or in any profession. People hear adversity, right? And they just think, ah, tough times. But I think in, if they might hear specifically or an example of something, it, I think it changes the perspective on how adverse either is my situation or, wow, I, I haven't even thought of something you know, as adverse as maybe Santana is about to explain. And, um, and I, like to, I like to share that stuff because I do think it changes the way people think of using those words as descriptives, right? When they're thinking about themselves, when maybe it's not quite the same as, as what hard work is on, you know, in terms of the amount you put in or maybe what you've had to overcome to get there. Well, I look at it like this in high school. Some of the things that stand out is one, I went to Carroll City. We ran the wing tee. We had two running backs that had a, thousand yards and the quarterback <laughs> rushing and I'm the only receiver out there and we didn't throw the ball my 10th grade year was my first year playing high school football and coach Frazier selected me like hey you're going to lead my receivers we have no receiver coach you you lead the receivers something he saw in me he thought that I can lead these guys but then throw me the ball that right there already stirred up a lot in me and then here I am I give him enough to say okay the last three games of the season he, put, he throw the ball at me. I catch both, all three of those passes, lean to the next year. I have now scoliosis. I don't know how I get it. It's some kind of way, my, my, my spine is crooked. So now I can't play football. And on top of that, you know, so this whole summer, I'm missing football. He had a, he had a rule, say, look, if you don't come to summer, if you don't come to training camp, you can't play. 
So I just thought things was over for me. You know, I'm like, my damn, here I am saying I'm going to go to college to play football. It's not looking like it's going to be in my favor to do so. So you didn't play your whole junior year? No, I, I missed just the summer. You know, summer, I missed okay. the summer. You know, luckily I passed my physical right before school started. I come back with a new physical like, hey, I, I passed, but I understand your rule. I, you know, I'm going to sit out this year. He's like, no, you're my starter from last year. You didn't miss the summer because you didn't want to play. You missed because you couldn't. So I'm going to give you five weeks and then you can start playing. So here I am like, well, damn, I got five weeks to practice while these guys are playing. My team is kicking butt. I get out there and now I get a tailbone injury. I'm like, damn, the tailbone is lined up with your spine. So I'm sitting here like, well, maybe I did have something going on. But instead of me telling the coaches that I got a tailbone injury, I got a bruise so big on my tailbone, like I could barely sit. I soak my, my tail every night in Epsom salt and hot water just to say, hey, I'm going to treat myself at home because I don't want to miss no more time. I get through that. I make it out of that season. I go into my senior year. Now I got turf toe the whole year. Oh, my God. People don't know. I ran literally my senior year. I ran on half of my foot. Like I would literally, this is my left foot. My right foot stood up like I made sure I didn't touch my, my big toe just so I can make it. I practice every day with it. I went home every day, Epsom salt, the same thing I did my tailbone, Epsom salt, and just prayed, man. And to see me go through all that and the, the, just how I got there, to me, that's adversity. And that's just at a small scale. But then I get in college and I have to, you know, walk on to the football team. And then I find myself playing well as a walk-on. And now my sophomore year, they're going to give me, it's not giving me, I earned it. I'm going to be a starter going into the season. And I break my jaw the last practice going into the regular season. So I'm sitting here like, man, I've overcome all this to now be sitting back again. But just being the guy I am, being a fighter, tell the doctor, what can you do to make me play this year? Yeah, I can put a plate in there, put the plate in there. I missed one game. You know what I'm saying? And then you go through that, all the stuff leading up to that. My senior year, I'm Heisman candidate and I'm all listening above and the team is riding on me. Santana Moss has become this guy who no one knew about. Now I'm this big star. And I have a high angle sprain the first five weeks of the season. You know what I mean? So it's just like, if that's not adversity, you show me some. And, and I was able to just take it on like it, you know, like it came and um, fought through it. And to see myself get through it, it left me without a doubt that everything that I had was destined. We've talked about that. You were a, basically a walk on right on the football team, which is kind of hard to believe. But I guess the question I have for you is, even though you were technically a walk on in 1997, did you look at yourself as a walk on? I mean, I had to because I knew that the stuff that was given to the guys who, who got scholarships, it wasn't given to me. So I was treated like a walk on. You know, people take it for granted. And when people look at my body of work and say, oh, that's just the way Miami got you in there. They knew what you was going to be. No, 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 no. They knew I had potential. Everyone who gets that chance, yes, the potential is there. But you are treated like whoever you are. So when I stood up in that meeting and I say Santana Moss, track guy from Kara City, you know, they had to, you had to introduce yourself. The team looked at me as that track guy and they treated me as that track guy. And when it came to what the scholarship that I was, you know, that had over my head track, I couldn't do the same things the football scholarship players had. You know, those guys were getting training tables, eating steak, and I couldn't eat the steak. I had to go eat with the regular students, you know? And as crazy as that might sound, it might seem petty or small, but it means something to you because you're not treated like equal. But you got to go out here and line up every day and sweat with these guys. But you're not equal when it's come time to eat, when it comes time to get special treatments. No, that stuff wasn't given to me. So that just adds to everything else. That just fueled my fire. So I'm just sitting here burning up 
because now when you get me out there between those white lines on green tree, I have another reason to go out there and dominate the guy in front of me because he's on scholarship because I wasn't worthy enough or because my opportunity, you know, wasn't given to have that, you know, that luxury. I have to show him what a guy who really wants it, you know, how he goes after it. And like I said before, I think everything was meant to happen this way because now you look at me and say like, wow, maybe there's another Santana somewhere out there. Maybe it's another, you know what I mean? So I kind of think that, you know, I took on things that was brought my way because I knew it was bigger than me. I knew that I wasn't out here to just be like, okay, I want, a ch- I want a football scholarship so I can be, you know, equal. No, I didn't care less about the football scholarship. I care less about being equal because of what I can do on the field. And I think I proved that. I think that's what gave me the opportunity to play early in the fourth game of the season because they understood that, hey, whatever we want to label him as, this guy could play football. And he's better than some of these guys that we gave scholarship to. So we have to play. How long did it take for you to make an impression on them? Because we know walk-ons, right? You're either working scout team, you're getting third team reps, whatever the case might be is. How long did it take you to impress the coaches and start moving up? And how long did it take you to see that you were making a difference? One of the things about our game, you know, the players are going to basically tell you who's the guy. You know, the players run that stuff. I mean, you can hear it in the locker room and you can just feel it of how the players react to you. All the upperclassmen kind of just reacted like, you know, I was wearing 48 for one. So that if, if that's not that's not making you feel like a walk-on at, at wide receiver, I, I don't know what else can make you feel like a walk-on. So I'm wearing 48 and out the gate after the first practice, and I'm by the linebacker. So all the 40 numbers are linebackers. So I'm putting my, my uniform on every day next to linebackers. And the defensive guys are gonna let you know who's the guy. And all you heard was like, good job, 48, good job. And then you start hearing the rumblings around the room like, Man, y'all seen that freshman, number 48? Man, we got something, you know? So I didn't need that to prove to myself that I had something. Trust me, man. I was almost, and don't get me wrong now, because I've never been overly confident. I've always been confident, though, but humble at the same time. But I just knew, give me this chance to go out here on this field, line up next to this guy, and everything he does, I'm going to show you I can do it or do it better. And that's just how I was. And it didn't have no guy in mind. It's just any guy that's playing my position, I'm going to line up and do the same thing he's doing. And you tell me which one you like the best. And that's just how I took every practice. I was like, man, I, I couldn't wait for one-on-ones. Because I'm like, this is where I eat at. One-on-one is going to be my, every day I'm going to look forward to one-on-ones. Because now I got mano a mano. I'm going to go out here and beat this guy. And I'm going to beat him in a fashion where you're going to have to play me sooner or later. That was my mindset. So when I heard the rumblings from the players, I didn't know if that got upstairs to the coaches. I didn't know. You know, I know they're watching film, but the way I was getting so much from my coach, my my individual coach, my receiver coach, he was on me, CJ, Coach CJ. And I love him to this day for it because when I finally found out the reason why he killed me so much every day in practice is because he had knew that they messed up. He told me personally, he said, look, man, I was told to break you because if you're as good as you look out here, and we didn't give you a scholarship, we did something wrong. So I had to make sure that I threw everything at you to say, okay, at the end of the day, yeah, he might look good out here on practice in these jerseys, but I knew it was something about his heart or his mindset that wasn't gonna allow him to play on this level. And when he seen that I passed all that, they had to play me. So that's when I realized I was showing a lot of people what I can do. And you know, before we kind of you know um, broke up, Dwayne Stocks proved to me out the gate. He showed me out the gate that it was something about me. He's, he was our 
all world defensive back was going to be top defensive back in the Big East. And part of second or third practice, he say, look, I'm following you around. And I'm like, man, I want none of that smoke. Come on now. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to get, look good every day. And he want to follow me around. And I'm sitting there scratching my head. Like, why is he not following Reggie? Reggie is our everything. Reggie's out the gate going to be a starter. Like, that's how Reggie was performing out there. And, and I'm like, man, why is he not following Reggie around? And he told me, he said, man, your speed and the things you can do, I need to follow you around. Because if I can follow that around all day, ain't nobody going to be able to touch me in the Big East because you running. And beyond just running, I was able to show that I can run between those lines and come out of my breaks and, you know, you know my cuts and, and make plays at that speed. A lot of receivers who supposed to be fast on the track or supposed to be fast period, don't run routes the same speed of, you know, they're supposed to be. And we had a guy there who, who was way faster than me, but in the football field, he didn't look it, you know? But when you put him on the track, he burned up the track. So that's why, you know, Dwayne Starks was like, look, I got to follow you around, man. And it's going to make me better. It's going to make you better. And the damn show made me better. Who was that guy that was faster than you? Oh, Daryl Jones. Daryl Jones, Daryl Jones to tell you, man, Daryl Jones, I beat Daryl in the 60 all day, 40 all day. But in that 100, 200 quarter, I want no smoke from Daryl. Daryl had like that world-class Texas speed. Like all those guys from Texas, they running low tens, you know, high nines in the 100. I remember the Big East Championship outdoor, because indoor I had won the 55 or the 60 or something like that. So I'm the 60 champ. And we go to the outdoor and I already know, like I told you before, I was a jumper. People always want to put this track star, like, look, man, I can run. I know I can, but I'm more of that 40, 60, you know, maybe I can run a 200 here and there, but I didn't like to really run against those guys who I knew was world-class because it takes a different gear or two to have. I had about five or six, but those guys have about 10. <laughs> but uh, when we got on that track, I have a great start. So that's one of the things that's always been my attribute, you know, to what the reason why I was able to get up on guys on the football field and track. I'm getting out the blocks. So that's one of the reasons also why I went to four by one. I ran first league because I was always good at starting the thing off. And I'm not sure if you know, we held the record there for a long time for the four by one. I'm not sure if anybody broke it, but um, I get out on everybody. And by the time I hit 50 meters, I kind of like get to running now and I just see Daryl just fly by me, man. And I was looking at his back the rest of the race. But, um, you know, Daryl, tell you, Daryl was world class on the track, but it was hard for him to use that speed between his routes. Now, when he get the ball in his hand and have to go punch it and get to the end zone, you see that world class speed again. But he couldn't take off and run a dig route like a world class sprinter. I can run every route with world class speed that you're supposed to on the football field. That's odd for a guy, you know, who can play football and that was, you know, said to be fast. You mentioned Reggie before, right? That he was the guy. Yeah. And you've talked about this, that everyone looks at the two of you now, right? Mm -hmm. Reggie and Santana from that time at Miami. But you've talked about how he pushed you, right? He motivated you because he looked at you like the track guy you said, and he was the main guy. Yeah. So can you explain how Reggie Wayne, even though you guys ultimately became a duo, yeah. when you first got there, he's your motivation? Yeah, Reggie was my motivation. I think he was all our motivation out the gate because Reggie was just, Reggie just seemed like he was so much more mature than us, honestly. Like Reggie, felt, I felt like Reggie's supposed to have been there a year or two before us because everything was just like textbook to him. It's like you, you look at a prototypical receiver and you in college football though, but you're like, oh, he's going pro. He just had the body, he had the work at, you know, the way he ran his routes. Now, 
Reggie's never going to be said to be, oh man, he wowed you with his speed, but he wowed me with just, he was a technician. You know, he ran routes, Chris. He fought you at the line of scrimmage with his hands and he caught the ball like it was just effortless, like BB in the dark. Like we just saw Reggie make catches and we was like, oh, you know, so being the guy that I've always been, I care less about being a front runner because I knew that at the end of the day, it's about being a team. And as long as you're one of the guys, you're that guy, you know? So knowing that Reggie kind of was, to me, out the gate was our leader. Like, you know, like he was a start out the gate. Week one, he started. I just said to myself, that's the rabbit. And I'm going to get closer to the rabbit as I can. And Darryl was in front of me. Andre King was a guy that came from the minor leagues and that was playing also, that was going to be playing. But I was a Z receiver. So Darryl was in front of me because he was a, he was a guy who got a scholarship. And so even though Daryl being in front of me, I care less about Daryl. I just knew Reggie was the rabbit. He was the guy that if I want to get on the field, I got to do everything he's doing and a little bit better or not doing it better. Do it the way I know how to do it. You know, do it. Wow. The guys the way I can wow. I can't wow. I'm like Reggie. I, I wasn't going to make every tough catch. You know, I wasn't going to probably beat you up at the line like he did. I'm a fast guy. I'm a finesse guy. I'm a small guy. So I have to wow people with what I have, what my attributes allow me to do. And I knew that flying by guys was going to be one of them and just being tough. I was always tough. You know what I mean? That's one of the reasons why Rob Mack spoke well of me because they knew where I came from, you know, Murder Grove down in Carroll City. You know, I played with the 18 year olds when I was 10 years old. We played Sandlock football and there was a helicopter and an ambulance always out there waiting because it was just that type of intense game when we played against each other. So the toughness was always there, but I just knew I had to wow the team and the coaches for what I can do, for how I do it. And Reggie was the guy that I just wanted to be next to. I just told myself, look, man, stay close to him and I should have a chance. And it just became, it's crazy how it is. It was funny to me, but I knew CJ meant something by it. It got to the point that CJ had us feuding against each other. Not that we literally did it because me and Reggie was always cool. But you knew CJ was trying to say, man, this is a competition now, Tanner and Reggie, you know what I mean? And I was just so oblivious to all that stuff. Do you understand where I'm at right now? I was a walk-on. I'm a starter now and I'm, they talking about Heisman and I'm all this other stuff and all these other awards I don't want. You think I care about being the guy? Just keep giving me the ball. I'm going to strike the band up sooner or later. And that's all I cared about. Everyone talks about competition at Cream Tree, how you guys pushed each other. And if you look at the roster, I mean, you can see why there was that level of competition, but how real was that? You just spoke about it a little bit and how intense did it get? It was fights, big fights. I recall a fight that um, me and my roommate had, you know, Devin Brown, you know, Daryl Jones pulled his hamstring in the spring practice. So me and Devin and Reggie and Ed Reed, so Reggie and Reed are roommates and me and Devin are roommates, but we are sweet mates because we share the same bathroom. So, you know, me and Reggie riding home and I say, Reggie, we need to talk to Reed and D Brown because those are leaders in the secondary that we can talk to. These are, these are our roommates. We, we boys, like we came in this thing together. Everything we do is together, us four, you know? So let's talk to these guys, let them know, man, this is spring. We can't afford to get guys hurt because we want to be fresh going into the next season. So we going to have, a, you know, a powwow. You know, we normally we eat something, might be, might be at the cab eating dinner or whatever it might be. We might be eating pizza at the uh, UC. So we we just chopping it up. Like, hey, man, y'all see Daryl went down. Don't let that be us. You know what I mean? If we get past y'all in a one-on-one, tell the DBs, tell the cornerbacks, don't pull nobody. 
You know, don't pull nobody from behind. We don't, we can't afford these hamstrings. Devin like, yeah, yeah, I got you, bro. You know, we care city, you know. We got each other, that's how I felt. So we go into spring practice and CJ's one of those guys, man. He pushed us so much. And like I said before, as a young guy, I was so oblivious to what he was doing. I was just doing it because that's just what I'm trained to do. Like I'm trained to go out here and work. I'm trained to prove to my coach that anything you put me through, I'm a dominate. I'm gonna run through the wall for my coach. That's just how I've always been. I learned that, you know, as a kid, that it was like, at the end of the day, you're my father figure. And that's what you need from me. That's what I'm gonna give you. So CJ was just like, yeah, you guys are this, you guys are that. You know, y'all let Daryl get hurt and it's just nothing. So we sitting there like, man, what are you talking about? But we felt like we did our part by talking to our counterparts. Like, look, man, you know, that's doing something. You know, hey, let's not do this again. We out there in a spring, a live spring practice. First team D against first team O. And I think I went against Marquise Fitzgerald in a slot. And I got up, on, I mean, he was pressed. And I got around him so quick, he couldn't do nothing but P.I. me. He pulled me from behind. And the first thing I thought about was just Daryl losing, you know, popping his hamstring. So I'm like, after the play was over, I'm like, Marquise, what's up? I'm fueled. I'm like, bro, don't pull me when I get past you again. Oh, whatever, whatever, whatever. Mm -mm, ain't no whatever. So the next guy getting in front of me, I'm not even thinking it's Marquise or whoever. It's D Brown, my roommate. He comes down from the safety position. He's sticking me in a slot. And I just tee off on him. And I'm like, man, you know, and we, he like, damn, bro, what's up? I'm like, ain't no what's up. I just told y'all don't be pulling on me. So D Brown, like, okay, that's what it is. And now D Brown and Air Reed, they like, uh -oh. you know, <laughs> Tane and Cash, Tango and Cash. Like they, they at us now. So the next play, things coming my way. I'm getting the ball. I'm getting hit high and low. D Brown and Air Reed, I'm spinning the ball. Like, what's up? That's that. Come on, keep bringing it. So it started the camaraderie. It started the, the offense to go against the defense in a fashion that we hadn't seen all spring. And then before you know it, we threw a pick. And I see Marquise Fitzgerald just sitting back there running and I just go tee off on him. Wow, man, and just, we, we, we break out into a big fight. And Bush Davis stopped the practice. When Coach Davis stopped the practice, it's punishment. We finna get punished. We finna something to happen. The fight lasted so long that I just knew we was getting punished. I knew I was gonna be the corporate and I was gonna have to be you know, penalized and dealt with. And he's like, everybody to the locker rooms and take a shower and I, you need to be upstairs in 10 minutes. And we get upstairs and they tell us to go individual. Like they didn't even have nothing for us to do. It was just so, it was, we was always, we sitting there like, damn, we don't know what next, man. What are they finna say? So I'm still heated. I got that red eye. I'm not caring at this point. I done been in the locker room already. And I'm like, these guys lucky we ain't get at it in the locker room. So <laughs> CJ got in the room with us. We all in the individual room and I'm pouting. I'm still kind of pissed, Reggie pissed. And CJ say, oh, I know who my dogs is. I know who my dogs is. I've been waiting to see my dog. And he, CJ had a thing he do with the little ticker that when we watch a film, he had the little uh, controller and it had like a little red spot on it. And he put it on me. Oh, that's my dog right there. There you go. Y'all see him? Y'all see him right here? You see, you, you see the fight he played with today? That's, that's what I want to see. So all you guys and CJ, that's why I say CJ was so monumental in who we were as a core because he would try to put us against each other in a fashion to say, I'm motivating these guys to be him or I'm motivating this guy to be him or I'm motivating that guy to you know, surpass him. But he did it in a way that at the time I wasn't paying attention to it. But when I look back at it now and, and having you know, these talks with him, you kind of understand it now. And he, you know, we broke the meeting and he talked to me privately. He said, hey man, I don't want y'all out there fighting like that. 
But that's the way you go at them. That's the way. That's what these guys need to see. Man, that fire you play with, that's something different. We can't coach that. We can't coach that. To tell you the truth, that was early in my career. We was probably in, still in our sophomore year. And to me, I think that gave me a lot from every coach looked at me a lot differently. And I'm like, okay, we know when it's time, when they put that fire behind them, we know we're going to come out the flames. You know, this guy has been put through so much and he's still standing tall. And when, when somebody do something that he don't like, he go after them. So to me, that's how Green Tree was. That motivated us. And look, after that was over with, me and Reggie didn't talk to D Brown and Ed Reed for weeks. They are roommates and we didn't talk to them. We rode to practice every day of spring with this Tupac song. Funny, cause when we was in the pros, Reggie would send me that on game day. And like, this is how I'm going to the stadium. And I'm like, man, I'm, I got mine playing too. And it was this Tupac song that we had on it. And, it, and I, I'm, I'm gonna find it for you and I'm gonna send it to you. But it just made us say F everybody. And we was gonna go out there. Every time we practiced, it was like F the DDBs, man, we had them. That, it, it brings chills thinking about it right now. Cause man, that set the tone. That set the tone for who we was gonna be in the years to come. Hi, Hurricane fans. Joe Zagacki here for UPS. Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world, globally or locally. UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want. More made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics. All right, so you just mentioned a national championship, and, and we know how that hangs over the program, right? It could push you. It could be pressure. How did that influence you guys? Because you came at a time, right, when the program was in transition, but the excellence was not too far behind you. How did that, how did that influence you guys? You just said, hey, we're going to be the ones to do it. How badly did you guys want to do it? Was that the mindset? Was that your goal going in? Our goal, 97, we're going to change things. That's what we all spoke. Every day we told ourselves when we was in the weight room, when we worked out with Swayze and Moffitt and the, our different training staffs, we're going to change history around here. We had too many freshmen playing out the gate. If I'm not mistaken, we had one of the most, it, it was the most of any freshman class that played in Miami history. And we knew that right then and there, we were setting a different tone. Now, yeah, we did that because we either didn't have anybody, we were that suck, <laughs> or <laughs> we didn't care. We Whatever. just knew that. Look, it's, it's more of us than them. We have to change stuff. And so it started from, honestly, to me, if you ask me, the class before us really started it. Edgerin James, Al Blaze, Nate Webster, James Sutton, uh, Damian Lewis, Bubba Franks. That class was what was the G's, two G's. They called themselves two G's. When you walk around campus, you saw two G's everywhere. As freshmen, we had to find our niche. So we called ourselves Deuce One. They're the two G's, we deuce one. That's the, that's the year we graduated. They graduated in 2000, we graduated in 2001. So it was two G's and it was a deuce one click. And that's how we rolled. We rolled like little clicks. And before you know it, the two G's and deuce ones, we was boys. We, was, we did everything together. And that's how we knew we was gonna be special because the main leader out of all that was Edrin James. We watched this guy. I literally sat on the sideline with Edrin against Baylor the first game of the season. I'm fully dressed, no helmet, so I know I'm not playing. Edrin's sitting there next to me like, Tanner Man, that's, he gave me the name Tanner Man. Like, if everyone want to know how I became this guy Tanner Man, it was Edrin. Edrin friends gave it to Edrin, and he gave it to me. And Edrin like, Tanner Man, and, I'm, and that's how he talked. And I'm like, what's up, Ed? She like, 
Oh, they just better not slip up and put the edge in the game. <laughs> he laughing and I'm sitting there like, man, why are you not in the game? But we had a guy that was in front of Edron that was pretty dope. And Edron was just sitting there, he like, telling you, telling him, boy, when I get in that game, I ain't getting out, telling you. And man, the dude got hurt. Edron got in the game and had two touchdowns, 100 some yards. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, I just witnessed this dude tell me they better not let him in the game. And trust me, he stirred all our pots because after seeing Edrin being so close to us and our age, he's all our age. We like, man, we can play on this level like him, you know? And Edrin just set the tone, man. Everything he did, we followed. We was like, you know, he was like the guy playing the flute and we just was behind him. He said, we got to get bigger this year. We all in the weight room, we got to get bigger. Edrin set the tone, whether it was in a, in a bad way or, or not, he set the tone for us and we all followed. We wanted to be like Edrin. And when Edrin went to the league, we like, that's where we going. Like, I've always said to myself from day one, that's where I want to, you know, I want to be a professional football player. So I didn't have no doubt in my mind where I was aiming for anyway, but to see Edrin do it, he was a part of the class ahead of me. I'm like, it's no way, it's no way in doubt. It's, it's, I have no doubt that I can go to the NFL if I play at the level that he played at. And I was already there. You know, I was playing at that level. Me and Edrin was fighting for MVPs in some of the games, you know, to see who had the best game. So I had no doubt and I, I used, Edrin, I used EJ as the guy to really, you know, he was my rabbit when it come to, you know, getting out of those, those four years and uh, making it pro. So have you seen a game better than UCLA? I would tell you, yeah, but, but honestly, no. <laughs> Not from Edrin, you know, cause that was his last game. And would you believe I was his roommate that night before the game? So just like he told me in Baylor that he was gonna do something special, you won't believe me. If I tell you this, and I shared this story with other uh, podcasts, Edrin told me he was rushing for 300 yards that night. I swear to God. He told me, so I'm going to rush for 300 yards and I'm gone. He said, well, my, my word, Tanner, man, I'm, I'm out of here, man. I ain't tell nobody else. So don't, tell, don't, don't share that with nobody. I'm like, EJ, you know we good, man. He said, I'm rushing for 300 tomorrow and I'm gone. He said, if I get this 300, because I could be. If I get this 300, the edge is out of here, man. I'm, I'm gone. And I remember in the game, Edrin had like 303 or 301. <laughs> I'm sitting there like, man, this is crazy. So it was just, man, one of those things, man. Like EJ, EJ mean a lot to our careers and it's crazy right now to this day, he still mean a lot to what we do. You know what I mean? After playing, you know, he's, he's always been wise with everything he does. You know, you look at EJ, the persona that they gave him, you know, from what he wore, dreads and goals. And he still was able to be the first back taken with all that, when they said that Fred Teller couldn't even have one gold team, EJ had a couple of them, you know what I'm saying? So now he's gonna be a Hall of Famer with dreads and gold. So, you know, a lot of the stuff that EJ did, you know, he did it in the sense that, don't judge me for how I look, judge me for what I do and who I am. Look, man, honestly, you know, they ask me always who is the most inspirational player and not say inspirational as he said something to me that was inspiration. No, just watching this guy, man made me a believer that we can do it as long as we put our mind to it and go about our business the right way. This is unreal, the stuff you're telling us, and I still, we still got more to go. So I want to talk about a couple of different guys. So one would be, so he leaves after 98. Right now it's 99, you're a junior. And the exact opposite of how someone looks would be your quarterback, Mr. Dorsey. <laughs> no gold teeth <laughs> from California. We called him Sticks because he was so skinny at one time. Right. So now you're coming up on your junior year, right? And into your senior year, but he starts playing as a freshman and going into your senior year, he's going to be the key. What kind of impression did he make on you guys? When did he earn your guys' respect? 
the first impression wasn't his best impression. I think Kenny Kelly got hurt against VTech and Dorsey got forced into that game. And that game was already to a point to where, man, did that crowd look, man, when that team was on the, on the road and they doing that thing, that crowd, man, that could be one of those crowds that get you out your game. And they were so loud, it was so cold. And for that young kid to be thrusting that game that way, I was just like, man, I feel for him. And I, I believe I went on an out route or something. I ran some kind of route on the sideline. It was on VTech sideline. And he left me out to dry. And I'm talking about, I went up and all I could see is people coming from underneath me. I damn near got flipped on my head. And I remember coming to the sideline and I looked at Dorsey like, I'm good. Keep giving me opportunities. After that moment in, in Blacksburg, like I never had to question Dorsey. Dorsey was always sharp in the meeting room. Dorsey would have a piece of night on Thursday nights. I believe it was Thursday or Friday, yeah, Thursday nights. And he would just break down the film like, Tanner, when you give him a head knot right here, the ball gonna be in the air, all right? And it was like so simple, so easy. Like, I'm like, man, this dude is on his game. Like, when you look back at it now, cause when I was young, I cared less about all that stuff. Like, I was just, you know, that wasn't a part of my game. Like watching the guy and seeing what he brings to the table. I hated watching guys. Cause I feel like you putting doubt in my head that this guy can compete with me, you know what I mean? Like. I don't want to watch you. You're like, if I got to go against you, man, just show up and we're going to go at it. You know, that's that's what I know. And so Dorsey would really break down film in a sense to where that we can beat these guys with just our minds. We got the ability, but if we just beat them to, the, you know, to, uh, you know, be a step ahead of them every time, we're going to beat them. And that's how we broke down film with him. And we knew that he was the guy. We knew he was going to be special. I didn't know he was going to be as special as he ended up being. But, you know, I played what, a year and a half with him. We knew he had something. He had a little quiet intensity to him as well. He told me he'd open his mouth and he'd say what was on his mind. Yeah, he did. And I think a lot of that came after our class left because he had to, you know, he was now two or three years in the game. You know what I mean? He had to speak up two and a half years, brother. He had to speak up, he had to be that guy. When, when me and Reggie played, oh, he, we, he didn't need to say a word. <laughs> he didn't need to say a word. We looked at him a certain way. He knew what was going on. Um, I got a quick story. My senior year, everyone knows I was a Heisman candidate and I hated it. I didn't want the light. I never been a guy about the light. To this day, I live my life. Where's Santana? Where's Waldo? I'm, I'm, I'm in my own space. I'm good. I'm done what I had to do and I'm still doing more, but I'm, I'm happy. I'm enjoying life. And I remember when they told me, you're going to be the Heisman candidate, you this and that. I'm like, coach, I know I don't get the ball. You know, to me, a Heisman has to be the focal point of your offense. And I felt like I wasn't him. We had too many guys. Reggie got to get fed. Shockey got to get fed. The running backs, we had Portis, we had Peyton, we had James Jackson, we had Najee. Come on, where, where? I know, but I knew something about myself that I was lead through as a special teams guy, as a punt returner. And I was lead through when that ball got in my hand offense. So I knew that I was going to do my part for this team, but I just didn't feel like I was Heisman worthy, you know? And I remember Coach Davis said, this will be good for our team. Deal with it. You know, I we need this. We need the attention. So I'm like, okay, cool. You said that, Coach. It's cool. So we started the season off with McNeese State. I have a pump return for a touchdown, and I have a reverse for a touchdown. If you look at that film, I got my left ankle highly taped. And I had an ankle sprain. I had a high ankle sprain. I, I sprained it catching a ball, I think a curl route, right before I, I ran the punt back. And I'm done. When I say done, I felt that thing, it was, it was so hard. It, it hurt so bad, I felt it in my knee. And that's how you know it's something severe. 
And I remember going to the training staff and, and I'm like, man, I got all this stuff on me. I'm a senior. I'm, I'm projected to be a first rounder, you know? And you got to think about it. Stuff that I didn't expect, people was calling me like, look, if you sit down right now and you still could be a first round pick, don't go out there and hurt yourself. I can't sit down on these guys, but I would want to take a break for this ankle to heal because I can't be myself with this ankle. And I remember the training staff told me, hey, this is going this to get better in about five or six weeks. So I'm like, I'm trying to see, okay, five or six weeks, damn, it's a long time, but I can do it. I done been through it all. I done been through the fire and back, so I can do it. Man, Coach Davis called down and said, if he can walk, he can play. <laughs> I didn't want to hear those words. And I mean, when I tell you, I literally was barely walking out there at times, and I played every week on that high angle sprain. But I understood it because looking back at it now, Coach Davis looked at it as, Tanner, if you're going, Reggie getting all the attention. At least with you on the field, half of what you can be, you're going to still get some eyes. And we gotta, now we get to still attack these guys with Reggie and all the other guys. So being a young 20-year-old, I didn't understand that. And then knowing that I had so much riding on that season, I didn't understand it. So I, I, I kind of was pissed off with Coach a little bit. But then at the same time, like I said before, the adversity comes and all I can do is just fight. You know, all I can do is fight. So I remember suiting up every week and the Heisman candidates and Tanner Moss isn't doing anything. You know, after the first week, I didn't do nothing. And now you're hearing the media talking about me in a, in a bad way. And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm not getting the balls no more. I'm, I'm just out there. I'm a decoy. You know, they don't know that, but they know I'm hurt, you know, but I guess they see me out there. So they like, you need to show up. I think it was about week four or five, I kind of got pissed off. Cause I'm like, here I am, I'm out there. Just throw me the damn ball, at least. I know I'm still getting open on one leg. Just give me a chance to make a play. I don't have to have the run out the catch that I'm known for, but I know I can make a first down here and there and get, you know, move the chains. So I'm in the locker room and I walk by Dorsey and I'm almost like, you know, we call it the unit or the East. I'm looking at him like, and he just so happened to turn around and catch me. Like, hey, what's up, bud? And I'm like, and now I have to express to him what I, what's been on my mind. So I'm like, come here, man, I'll let you. And I sit now next to him and he's like, he's concerned. Dorsey's one of those guys. He's like, man, what's up, man? I say, you see me out there, right? He's like, what you mean? I said, oh, doing the game, you, I'm out there, right? You see me, right? So he's like, yeah, I'm telling you, you're out there every week. I say, so why the you ain't throwing me the ball? <laughs> he was like, oh, Tan, I'm sorry. And I swear, this is how he was like, bro, like, I, you know, I know you've been hurt. So I, I just kind of, you know, I, I know you out there, but I'm just like, I, I'm not used to seeing you like that. So I'm just going away from you because I know you kind of, you know, you're hampered. I say, man, if I'm getting open, throw the ball. And Dory said, my bad, I, I'm, I apologize. Next week was Florida State. I have a hundred some yards and my ankle was just feeling a little better. Just feeling a little better. I think it had to feel a lot better because the way what I expressed to Dorsey, I knew the ball was coming, you know, and I caught a hundred yards against Florida State and I ain't looked back. I remember Reggie, uh, I'm not sure if he remembered this, but I will never forget it. When Reggie saw me catch that hundred yards and it was Florida State, we won the game. The next day it means he like, damn, bro, here you go. <laughs> he knew I was coming and it was just, we got the week. Next, we went to Temple. I ran a punt back. I had a bomb for a touchdown. It was just at week after week after week. I just put on a show for the rest of the season. So that was my memory, my most fondest memory of Dorsey because he didn't really know. He knew I was hurt. And I'm pretty sure Coker 
being that he was the offensive coordinator, being that he was the quarterback coach, I'm sure he was going over there like, yeah, you know, Tanner out here, but Tanner's going to take two, throw the ball over here. You know what I mean? Throw to the next guy because Tanner getting a lot of attention regardless of me being injured or not. But Dorsey felt bad that I was there and he wasn't giving me the opportunity to still make a play. And trust me, I don't know. Miraculously, my ankle felt 100% after, those, after that conversation. It wasn't 100%, but it, in my mind, it felt 100%. And Dorsey came coming. He came, he let it rip, man. And I feel like my season ain't starting to Florida State game because those first games, I did nothing. And after that Florida State and on through, man, I put on a show for, you know, for the remainder of my uh, senior season. So you mentioned Florida State, so I'll just make it real simple. I'm not, I'm not talking about statistically, but have you played in a better game, a better environment, a better moment than that one? Impossible, no. Honestly, and I'm thinking, man, I'm thinking hard because on the collegiate level, I know it was just, it was no other game like Florida State. That crowd, star-studded sideline, Jay-Z on the sideline, Snoop Dogg getting ready to wear your jersey for his concert, Michael Irvin sitting there calling shots. I never seen nothing like it, honestly. And I was proud to be a part of it. And it's crazy. I'm not sure if I ever shared this with anybody else, but that's where that, quote I said stemmed from. It stemmed from the hurt that I had in me up leading up to that game from just not being not being Heisman worthy, you know? And I heard it. The media was bashing me. And I don't read or I don't watch TV when it comes to what we do. Now I'm watching everything else, but when I see Sports Center or someone breaking news about University of Miami, I'm turning. At the time I did that and I did that throughout my whole pro career. I didn't want my friends would be downstairs in my home and they'll be watching you know, whatever sports talk. And when they heard them footsteps, they changed the channel because they know I don't want to hear it. You don't want to bring in the noise. You don't want to hear it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to feed off of what they're saying because believe it or not, we all human. And you see it now today. A lot of these guys are sensitive as hell. I've heard so much from guys. I, I should have knocked a couple of reporters out. You know what I'm saying? That's how I feel. Like I should have really went out there and had a fist fight with a couple of reporters because you spoke of me in a way of it. You knew me. You didn't know me. So for you to say those harsh words to me for your job, I don't think it fit, you know, what you're trying to get out there to the public. And my senior year, man, I heard it all. So even when I wasn't trying to hear it, it was just there. And I'm like, man, I can't help because I'm injured. I can't help because I'm just a decoy right now. But hearing it and just knowing that it was around me and just knowing that this is my senior year, for, for me to play big in Florida State, for me to be big uh, on that last drive, you know, that's why I said the quote, big time players step up in big games. And, you know, it, I meant it because here it is, is the biggest game, I think, at that moment of my career. Coach CJ always told her, he told me my junior year, before we played in Dope Campbell, CJ said, he gave us, um, what the guy named Lamar Thomas came in to speak to us. And he told me and Reggie, he's like, he told the whole, told the whole core, he said, when you guys hear that chant, I need to see y'all out there dancing. I want to see your heads bobbing. That Florida State chant should be your song. And I looked at Lamar Thomas like, believe it or not, I'm a chief. Came from Carroll City. That's my chant. That is my song. That's why I perform the way I perform against Florida State. Not only because that's my song, but I shared this before. I wanted to go to Florida State. So, yeah, I wanted to go to Florida State. That's just the God honest truth. I was always, I was a big fan of Miami. I'm from Miami. But, you know, every... Every kid want to go away from home. You know, every kid wants to leave home. And if I had to leave, Florida State was one, Florida was two.
And then Florida became like almost one, one, two because of what Spurrier was doing with the passing game. I was like, man, I want some of that. I want part of that. That's, that's, that's outstanding. Well, Jacquez Green, I felt like I was Jacquez Green. You know, that was the guy who I said, I got to be in college football. I want to be Jacquez Green because I want to be able to run punts back, kicks back, and be a receiver like him. And, you know, I give him a lot of credit because I was trying to mold myself out of being him and Kevin Williams in Miami. But so when we played Florida State, it was personal because one, you didn't look at me. Two, I had four or five guys over there that I played with and two of them was corners. And they know what I did to them in practice, you know, in high school. And so I felt like it was personal. So folks never knew why I got up the way I got up for Florida State. But, you know, looking back at that game my senior year, to beat them, to finally beat them, and to be going through what I was going through leading up to that, that just was like, damn, here, here you are. It's another story for your book because you've been talking about, and I, I wasn't speaking on adversity then, but I had heard it so much sitting in Carroll City, you know, weight room, listening to Coach Frazier talk about adversity, talking about opportunity favors the most prepared. Now, I spoke to you about opportunity a lot here, and I use this quote all the time. It's not mine. But I'm always sharing, I say this, I'm gonna share it because I'm always gonna remind the folks who molded me to be the guy I am as a player and as a man, it's called Walt Frazier. He's always spoke about opportunity favors the most prepared. So I know I'm going backwards a little bit, but I have to, because in order for you to understand my body of work, you have to understand that it was no opportunity given for those first couple of years at Carroll City. I was just out there. I'm just running up and down the field. Like it was girls in my class like, you need to quit football because you ain't getting no balls. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, you know, I'm calling them all kind of names like, man, you don't shut your mouth. But I honestly thought about leaving that school. I told my dad like, hey man, me and, my, me and one of my good friends, you know, we kind of plotted on, let's go to the school next door, Miramar. Miramar throwing the hell out of the ball. They got two or three guys with a thousand yards. Let's go over to Miramar. I know I'm better than two of their receivers right now. But my dad was like, no, work for it. Make that coach know that you're worthy. And I just kept preparing, kept preparing, kept preparing, kept preparing. Then the opportunity came and my senior year was like, you know, you can put it up there with anybody, you know, cause you know, although I didn't have all the outstanding yards but the touchdowns and the yards I did have, you'll, you'll, you'll shake your head about it. It's, it's almost like unreal. Now, the other thing too, Santana, the pain, the frustration, the performance, you're also doing that and you're a father. Yeah. And I know there are kids that play that that it happens and it, it blows my mind the strength to to carry that through because it's a major responsibility. You see, you got me teary eyed, right? Check it. So I'm cool, man. Real men cry. So didn't mean to. I can't I can't share the story and not be truthful. Um I gotta be cool because I can't <clears throat> I can't come out and be cracking when I'm talking. Santana Jr. When he came, my senior year, <laughs> I just shared with you so much about adversity. And I'm like, damn, what am I doing to myself? Here I am struggling already. You know, we we're collegiate athletes, you know. We, are, we don't have a job, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm barely making it already. My mom, I didn't have to pay for school. Woohoo! Cause we weren't gonna be able to pay for school. You understand? So I'm like, damn, I brought a kid in this world and I can't afford it. 
That's all I was thinking. I can't afford this. I can't afford this. I can't afford this. And like I said before, I'm very optimistic. So I was looking for that, that light. Like, tell me a reason why this is happening to me right now. And honestly, he helped with all that stuff that I had already built up in me. Cause now I'm not, I'm not out here playing for myself. I'm playing cause man, I gotta make a better life for him. I had a hundred dollars to my name every month and I had a child, it's real stuff. <laughs> I'm thinking back cause I'm like, I remember I'm like, man, hell I'm gonna eat. I had to get a car. I remember I had a, um, I had a Buick LeSabre, 1988 Buick LeSabre. Me and my girl in the car, she pregnant. And we riding by campus, right by the Metro Realm, where the buses go in there, where our shuttle buses go in there to, you know, kind of recycle the buses and come back out. And the car breaks down. And I'm sitting there telling myself, I can't have a son. I'm already in here with my pregnant girlfriend and now my car breaks down and I get out to push it. And I'm sitting here like, man, this ain't life, you know? But I'm still trying to say, man, you got to hold on. You got one year, one year to finish. You just got to play good for one year and you can have something that's going to be able to take care of you and your family. And I remember pushing that car and a guy got out of his car. He damn near got out and let the car roll. He saw me and he's like, damn, Santana Moss. And he jumped and pushed the car with me. And my girl's in there driving and we pull over to the side. And I remember the bus the shuttle bus was filled with a bunch of track girls. Me and Turkey, Turkey's one of the track track girls uh, back in the day. She she grew up with me. Basically, I've seen, I've been knowing Turkey since high school and she still braided my kids hair to this day. She was braiding my hair back then when I had the braids. And I remember her and all other girls, they laughed at me. They was like, ah, like, you know, and, and we kids, you know what I mean? So they thought it was funny, but that was real life. Like I was hurt, I was devastated and I remember pulling to the side and I'm sitting there and the only number I knew to call was Reggie. I knew his, his apartment wasn't that far. And I'm like, and Reggie knew my calls. Reggie knew I ain't calling him for nothing. Reggie knew if he got a call from me, especially at that time of the, um, our careers, cause I was never around. Like I would go chill with my girl. I would literally work out, go to school, work out, practice, whether I was in track or football. And then I'm, I'm at her house. I'm at her, her, her grandfather's house, not too far from the school. And that's what I did every day. And now I'm sitting here planning to be a father. So, you know, she's definitely with me and I'm just trying to find out how I'm gonna have ends meet. You know, people look at this and might say, man, you got a, you got a mom and a dad. I'm pretty sure they gonna take care of you. Yeah, but I got two younger brothers. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't put that on them. You know what I'm saying? So I remember calling Reggie. He like, man, where you at? He already knew I done broke down somewhere. I like, bro, I'm right in front of the damn um, shuttle bus area you know, right by the metro, underneath the metro rail. He said, man, I know, yeah, I'm coming, man. He came, Reggie came, I left the car there. Reggie picked us up, he dropped us off. I think he dropped us off to my apartment or to, I don't know where he dropped us off at, but I remember calling my dad. And I remember I've been telling my dad for the longest I need a new car. And he was telling me, no man, just wait, you know, wait till you get drafted to get your car. And I remember that talk on the phone with my dad. I, it was out of frustration and just anger, you, you name it. Any, anything that could be going through my mind. And I was basically telling him, I'm not calling to ask you no more, man. I need a car. I'm going to get a car tomorrow. <laughs> and he came down and um, he, we, we went to a, a, a local dealership down the street from campus. 
I got a Nissan Galant. I got a Galant. I think it's a Nissan car. I got a Galant, a 2000 Galant. And I remember, man, it was just like yesterday, because now I got more bills on me now. I'm not only bringing in this kid. Now I got a car payment. You know what I'm saying? So I'm sitting here like it's impossible. And so my whole senior year, and I spoke about the hundred dollars I had, that was after my car payment. So I would have to pay for my rent for my apartment that I was staying at. Cause now I gotta move my girl in and take care of her. And I gotta pay this car payment and I gotta put food on the table. And then I got hundred dollars to hopefully we survive with gas and anything else. And the reason why I shed those tears, man, because it's real. And I've always been a guy that tried to make sure I did everything the right way. And I'm not saying I was wrong because trust me, it was a blessing. That's why he, he was able to make me go out there and play the way I played. Not to say that I wasn't going to go out there and lay it on the line, but he gave me more of a reason to go out there and really play. He opened up something in me that let me know it wasn't about me no more. And trust me, I think I got a picture, Boston College game. I had the three touchdowns. And I remember when the game was over, everybody see me, I'm calling for them. And I got that picture. I put him in my arms and we went out and took the team. We took the senior picture together. And, and, and that was the best feeling ever to see that I was able to get through that season knowing that, man, my body of work finna take care of us, you know? My body of work finna take care of us. And he's older now. He played a little high school ball. I never pushed football on him because he's his own man. But I've always looked at it as, man, he had it hard because I named him after me and I became who I became. So everybody's gonna look at you as Santana Jr. You have to go out here and be a dad. But I don't know if it's because the maturity that I had in me at the time that he never grew up with that in his head. Like, man, dad, you, you who you are, I'm who I am, man. He cared less about that. My son used to go to football games and didn't watch the game. I used to tell him, give me an essay on what I did because I knew he wasn't watching it. But I just feel, you know, it's, it's a relief to know what you overcame, you know what I'm saying? And I, I hear a lot of kids in school now with kids. And I'm like, man, we were, I was a baby at 20 years old. I didn't know how to raise a child, man. Like, you know, I didn't know what it took to really be a father, but I had a great father, you know? So I damn sure saw him every day, you know? And when I didn't see him, I knew what he was doing. He was working, trying to make sure he could provide for us. So. I knew that part of it. I knew all I got to just go out there and work. All I got to go out there and just do what I have to do to make sure that they have and be in their life and be there. So I had that. That's that's the one thing I had to rest assured of how to be a father. But it's a lot of other stuff you have to learn, you know, uh, through the journey. And now I have more kids to add. So it's like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm able to sit back and just smile because I learned something new. Every, you know, every child teaches me something different. But, oh uh, man. That that choked me up, and um, I'm I'm not ashamed of it because those moments, man. I remember being in that apartment building, just looking at him like it's got to work, <laughs> it's got to work, because it ain't it ain't no what if. It's got to work because I put this on myself, you know. And I felt like I had built up so much to go out there and and be given or awarded what my my body of work have allowed me to be awarded, but to have that child that could have kind of put a dag in everything, you know, because it could have caused you to start thinking of other stuff and let that kind of hamper, you know, who you was as a player. And I'm fortunate to say that it didn't, you know, I was able to even go out there and practice with more of a, you know, inspiration and, uh, and an aspiration to achieve something like, and I've always been fearful 
of failure. That's a lot of my fuel. That's where a lot of my fuel has, has stemmed from. Like I didn't use what God said or what people might want to write. I was always scared to fail. So I was going to try to go out there and lay it on the line regardless. And like I said before, from the foundation that was built in me from home and at Carroll City with this knowing about opportunity and knowing about preparation, look, that's all you had to give me. It was like almost giving me the answers to the test. Coach say prepare. So when I look at preparation, I'm not just thinking about football. I'm not thinking about being the best I could be on the field. It's about life. You know, it's about everything you have to do in life. And, you know, when I look back at my son being born, I was almost asking myself, why? But I'm like, you can't ask why, because you, you are part of the why. You put yourself in this situation. But also, the man not going to put nothing on your plate that you can't handle. And that's what made me smile and thank off. Like, you know what? This is meant. This is a part of the journey. And so when I was out there going at it, man, and flying out those sidelines, he was in my mind at all times. For what you just spoke about, we have to talk about these two people. Maybe I'm not trying to incite more tears if it comes. <laughs> yeah, I hope not, man. That that you touched that button, man. It was whoo. Well, I want to talk about your folks because. I don't know if you knew it then, maybe you know it now as a father, right? Maybe you could share now as a father, looking back then about having both of them in your life. With no doubt, with no doubt, I knew how important my mom and my dad was. Um, that's why I've given them all the credit from day one. When, it, when folks say, who do you want to be when you grew up? You know, we all gonna say that athlete that we looked up to. I had many guys that I looked up to, but none more than my father and my mom. They who I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be able to take care of my kids or, or just be able to take care of my family, period, because I felt like they did so much. And I saw it daily, you know what I mean? Like, man, like my dad worked his behind off, got up in the morning, took his behind to work, and you saw him in the evening. My mom, she worked, and when she got out of work, she worked again. She went somewhere else to work. Some of the times I was home with just me and my brothers, you know, I'm my brother's keeper. I got y'all, we good. They got us, I got y'all. So I remember them days. I remember on New Year's Eve, my mom called us and said, hey, make sure the doors lock. You know, when they start shooting outside, get on the floor. This is us in the house, they working. So, you know what I'm saying? And just knowing the neighborhood we grew up in, look, man, at 10th grade, most of the guys I played basketball with, right across the street from my home, about 15 guys total, if I'm, if I could be wrong, all go to prison at the same time all go to prison. I'm talking about these are my childhood friends. Like literally, we knew each other from the moment I, I moved to Kara City until that moment that they was taken off from school. They got picked up at school, I remember. And some of them weren't in school that day, so they got picked up at home for the ones who weren't in school. But about 15 guys all got carted off to, uh, to prison. All of them did eight or more bid, or year bids. And as a young man, I'm sitting back like, wow. These are some of the things that my dad always was preaching about following the crowd. Make sure you know who you following. Don't be a follower. You know, when you're being a part of a gang, when you're being a part of these cliques and these crews, your boys can make do something wrong and you probably weren't even there. But by you being affiliated, you're gonna get you going down for it too. So I remember my dad preaching that to me so much, and it was probably, oh man, it, it was so uh pivotal in my upbringing because I was around a gang every day. My friends was in the gang, all of them. And you know, it's a neighborhood thing. You know, it was a neighborhood thing, but 
you had to be almost in a sense, honestly. If you saw where we grew up at, if you saw what we were facing in school, if you wasn't a part of something, you was gonna be dealt with with a, by another clique or, or crew. And it almost puts you in that sense of mind that, look, man, if I ain't got no back, then I'm, I'm a dead man, you know? And I remember, I don't know why I was always uh, <laughs> left alone. Thankfully I was, cause I didn't have to worry about the other games, but it was crazy because I guess, cause I played sports, man. And I think when you hear a lot of stories about athletes, they always say, man, the neighborhood guys kind of look, look at you as you off limits. Don't bother that guy. You know what I'm saying? Because I guess they kind of living through you almost hoping that you make it, hoping that you be the guy that represent for them. And I remember all my good friends, man, they was, oh, hey, man, when something went down, you saw them jumping cars, they going to go do it. They going to go handle it. And here I am. Come on, Nuri. Come on, Lloyd. Let's go. We got to go this way. Because I knew what's going to go down. And the reason why I share this is because you asked me about my mom and my dad. If I didn't have that person in my life to tell me to go right when everybody else went left, where would I be? You know, what choice would I would have made when my closest friends going to go, you know, fight the, uh, the neighborhood some blocks down or somebody pulled a gun on one of my friends. So somebody else in their clique finna go do the same thing to them. You're like, what, 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 what choices would I have made? So I've always looked back at that and it's like, man, my mom and my dad meant everything to me and to us being what we became because we had the support system that most of those guys didn't. A lot of them didn't have those parents. A lot of them didn't have no parents at all. They were raised by their grandmother. And you know, when you're around those kind of influencers in the neighborhood, because that's what <laughs> you look at it now, we see all this stuff on social media and be like, I'm an influencer. Man, honestly, those people in your neighborhood are big influencers in your life. They're helping you mold. They're helping mold you. When you leave your mom's house, it's, it's but so much they can tell you. When you get into those streets and you out there playing sandlock, playing basketball on the blacktop, you seeing the guys the way they roll, what kind of money they got, what kind of cars, what kind of girls around them, they are influencers. They are either a positive or negative influence in your life. And it's up to you to pick what side you go on. And I'm glad to have always had that in my head to be a not to be a follower. I was always a leader. So, and I remember, man, a good friend of mine, he's dead now. I'm gonna share this story because he's one of those guys. He was an older guy. He's one of those guys, he was close to Rod Mack. He was, him and Rod Mack was like brothers. But before I knew Rod Mack, I knew him. That's how Rod Mack knew me. And he used to come get me out of my house to play football with those guys. And I always knew he was a street dude. I knew he was a guy that was doing some stuff, didn't know what, but he had respect and he was a good fighter. No one tried him in the neighborhood. And God bless the dead Duke. He would come get me. And I remember when he was locked up, he was locked up for a while. And he said, Santana, when I was locked up, I used to tell guys that I was locked up with, like, I saw that kid become who he is. He like, I wish I had a big brother like him because when we was at the parks, shooting dice, doing wrong, Santana used to come get his little brothers, like, come on, let's go over here. And I had, I had to take them off and I play catch with them. And we had to strike up a football game amongst ourselves and whoever came over and played with us, they did. And he said, I remember the guys always like, oh, ain't that so cute? He playing with his little brothers. He said, they joked about it. He, I never knew this until he shared this with me. He said, those guys joked about it all the time. He said, when he was in prison watching me play, he was like, yeah, it's cute. And I wish I had that same kind of big brother. And I'm like, damn, you know what I'm saying? Because I didn't know that this guy who I looked up to in the neighborhood was looking up to me and what I was doing and what I had became. 
Well, my man, I told you at the beginning, we wanted to share your story. And I'm sure a lot of people think they knew some of it, but you shared a lot of it. And I just want to say thank you. There are a lot of people out there who are part of the Kane Nation that love you, but uh, I appreciate getting to know you, not the receiver, but getting to know you. You've given us a lot of time. I'm thankful and grateful. So thank you very much for doing this. We could go on and on. I might have to have you back. <laughs> I got a bunch of stuff I never got to. <laughs> We're going we gonna to say the rest of my book, man. I got a book soon, man. You know. All right, then you just put it in the book and I'll buy it. But you got to send me the song. I'm going to text you the song. Text me the song. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, man. I appreciate the time, man. This was fun, man.